The last couple weeks, if you're a guest with us, we have been on a reading plan as a church, and you're welcome to jump on board with us. I'm actually behind the reading plan. Um, I'm going to finish up on Galatians today, and uh, last week we were reading uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and 2, and this following week we're going to be chewing chapters 3 and 4, but I want to kind of land here with uh, the Galatians study that we've been on, and uh, we... uh, the, the message title that, that we have been on for the last two weeks, this is the third week, is what you believe is what you will behave. Everybody say that with me. What you believe is what you will behave. And so we've been talking about that if we want to improve our behavior or if we want to improve our children's behavior or if you want to improve your spouse's behavior or anybody's behavior, you have to change what you believe before you change your behavior. Amen? And so, uh, if you believe, for example, last week I embarrassed some middle schoolers and some young ones I've been teasing. We said the word sex last week. Heaven forbid saying that in church, right? But you know, if you believe sex before marriage is, is okay, your behavior will follow that. Right? If you believe pot or getting drunk is okay and that it calms you and you're, you're more sociable because of it, guess what? Your behavior will follow that. Are you with me? If you believe God loves you and he empowers you to overcome things, your behavior will follow what you believe. I believe God empowers the believer to get free. I believe God empowers us by the power of the Holy Spirit, which we just sang about. I believe he empowers us. And when you believe that, your behavior follows that. And so we spoke last week about Galatians 5.19. I'm going to get there quickly because uh, we went over just six of the 15 things that Paul talks about that are works of the flesh. And I'm going to finish the last several, but I'm going to land the plane with a lot of hope because there's some things in Galatians 5 that I believe God wants to really inspire hope. He wants to increase our believing today. He wants to fill us with his presence today in such a way that we believe him for more and we believe him for increase and we believe him for breakthrough. And if you're with me, can you please say amen? Amen. All right. So here's what we did last week is we went over these things because Paul was trying to change what the Galatians were believing. And so he was sharing with them what they needed to believe and they needed to believe that these things were wrong. And so we read this scripture, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery. I had several people say, thank you for explaining that. I can't even say the word. That's not exactly a word we use in our vernacular these days, is it? Debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so what do these words mean? So that's what I've been going into. I went in the first six. If you did not hear last week's message, I highly recommend you going back to our podcast. I spent a lot of time on sexual immorality because there's a lot of confusion within our culture about what that is. And I talked about debauchery. I talked about purity. I talked about witchcraft and idolatry. I really want to encourage you, if you didn't hear it, please save me some time on recapping that and go back to that. It's very, very important. I know it, 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 it may frustrate people when you listen to it. I know several people had a struggle with what I shared, 
But you know what? I've got to tell the truth of what the Word of God says. Can I have an amen on that? And I am ashamed in some ways that I have not preached on this, but maybe once or twice in 24 years. And so the Lord really convicted me to press into this stuff. And there's things that I'm going to go over today. We're going to hit them pretty quick because I've got to get through it. And I'm going to hit several of these things on what they mean and what they are because I think we're confused on what some of this stuff is. And therefore, since we don't believe that we're participating in that, we don't realize that uh, we need to correct what we believe so that our behavior will change. So are you guys ready to correct some believing in your heart about what some of this stuff is? So what we did, as I said, we went through the first six. And today I'm going to start with the word discord is where we're at here. It's kind of interesting because sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, and that kind of stuff really talks about a lot of our, our, our inward sin and our sexuality and, and how, how we see ourselves and, and how we move in our relationships with other people. Now we're going to get into some of the other things like discord, where it's how we relate to one to another and, and how we treat one another in the body of Christ, within our families. And it's going to be interesting because I know in, as in this study, I really began to see some things that need to, uh, my, my believing needs to change. So the word discord here, and, and we, could have, we could easily do it. We could have Tom get up here on the guitar and we could have him play two opposite chords and he'd go like this, and your ears would go, uh, discord. The word discord means disunity. It means disagreement that can turn to bitter conflict in a family or in a church or in your relationships in general. It means to fight, to quarrel. It means strife. It, you can you, it, Literally, you can turn to false accusations and make statements like you're this and 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 it's where you start word slinging. Anybody ever word sling in your family? It's where you begin to lie and say things that aren't true, stirring up anger on purpose. Anybody ever stir up anger on purpose? Be a little contentious with some of the things that you say. Stirring up controversy or conflict, gossip, discrediting others, slander to damage people's reputation or position. I see that in the church often. Complaining or expressing dissatisfaction and annoyance over an issue. We never see that in the body of Christ, do we? Those who stir up discord always have a hidden agenda for themselves. There's something they want. So if you're a part of creating discord in your family, discord in the church, discord in relationships, talking bad about people to undermine them or to make other people change their opinion of other people, you are creating discord. Does that make sense? And even Solomon in Proverbs 6:19 he makes a list of seven things that God hates. And seven of the things that God hates are like people who rush into evil quickly, uh, you know, a lying tongue. But the seventh one that, that Solomon says that God hates, he says, those who stir up discord among brothers. 
those who sow discord among brothers. So my question is, even in the church and in our families, how about you? Do you actually create discord, disunity, a clashing of opinions? Do you focus on what's wrong rather than what's right? Do you complain a lot about people in the church or are you in disagreement with people in the church a lot? Do you sow discord in your family by complaining about your spouse in front of your children? I cannot tell you how many parents disagree on how they discipline their children. So what they do is they throw their their wife or husband under the bus in front of the children to discredit and to dishonor the other spouse in order to get their point across that they don't believe that way. And they're not in unity. And God said, when you do that, you are sowing discord. You're sowing division. And God says, no, I want you to operate out of love. And so literally, Paul is saying in the scriptures that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's That's a pretty strong statement. So that's what discord is. So you really need to ask yourself today, am I participating in discord in the church? Am I participating in discord within my family? Am I creating discord with my discord even at school, even with teachers, even with other people in authority? Am I participating in that? And you need to allow the Spirit of God right now to begin to convict you. You need to write that down in your notes today and say, okay, God, we're going we're gonna to go back to that because I'm going to hit a lot today. I'm going to keep moving, but you need to write discord down. If that's something the Spirit of God is convicting you of right now, We need to do business with God because what we have to do, I'm not going to change that behavior until what? I change what we believe. And so there's something that you believe. You believe it's okay. You believe that, you know, something's going on inside of you that you believe something is why you participate in that. Are you with me? And so it's really important for you to write down today the things that the Spirit of God highlights as I'm going over these issues because this happens in the body of Christ. Paul is talking to Christians. He is not talking to the unbelievers right now. You guys with me? Okay, so let's go to the second one. Because I've got to keep moving on this or we'll never get done just like I didn't last week. The second one is jealousy. Anybody think you struggle with jealousy? Okay. You guys are real quiet on me today. We're going to get through it. Jealousy is this, okay? I'm going to describe jealousy based upon the Word of God the Greek word here, and I'm also going to pour some other meanings into it. But jealousy is a greedy or prideful longing. A greedy or prideful longing for something that belongs to another person. A prideful or greedy longing for something that someone else has. Now, this can be intangible stuff. It doesn't have to be your car. It doesn't have to be your home. It doesn't have to be the shoes you wear. It doesn't have to be your, uh, but it can be, oh, no, excuse me, not that. It can be anything. It can be intangible things. For example, people people can be jealous of your influence. People can be jealous of your, um, your position. People can be jealous of a, bit, of a little bit about everything. It can be people can be jealous of your ministry. They can be jealousy, jealous of the favor that's on your life. 
They can be jealous of how people love you. They can be jealous of all kinds of different things about you or someone else. Your status, your popularity. People get jealous of others in the church all the time due to special relationships. Can't tell you how many times, oh, that's a click. No, that's just a really close relationship. Even Jesus had close relationships. Uh, Can you imagine what the disciples thought when uh, Peter, James, and John got away with Jesus and the others didn't get to go? They would have called that a click. No, there was a deeper relationship, and there's sometimes jealousy over relationships even within the church. According to psychology today, and I realize psychology today is not the Bible. Nowhere close to the Bible, but in my research on jealousy, I loved what they said about jealousy. It said jealousy is a combination of emotional reactions. And so if you're struggling with jealousy, you're struggling with these three emotions and probably more. And again, we've got to determine what we're believing because our believing is causing our behavior. But the three emotions that they said are emotional reactions include fear, anger, and anxiety. So you can find out what is it that I'm believing? Why, why am I angry? Why am I afraid? Why, why is there anxiety being produced in me? that is causing and feeding this jealousy. The symptoms of jealousy, you're not happy for for other people's success. You feel the need to diminish someone else's success to others. That's a big one. You feel the need to diminish someone else's success to others. You judge others negatively and speak negatively about them. They are happy when others experience setbacks. And I see this in ministry often. Someone is jealous of someone else, so they look for ways to discredit the one they are jealous of. So what about you? Where does your believing need to change when it comes to jealousy? Maybe you need to write that one down. Because again, my, what I believe is what drives my behavior. And I've got to find out where am I in anxiety, where am I in fear, where is it that, what is it that is motivating me to be jealous of other people? Because, again, Paul says those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does anybody want to root jealousy out of their life? I do too. I'm going to keep going with fits of rage. Now, fits of rage, I knew well. My wife can contend with me and say that that was true of me. I am no longer a rage monger. Can I have a witness, Karen? I am a different man because of the power of the Spirit of God. But what are fits of rage? And these can be cloaked because there is passive aggressive rage and then there is rage. And I'm going to talk about that today because I think a lot of people struggle in this area. But fits of rage are intense, uncontrolled anger or indignation. Well, indignation is not a word that you and I use a lot either. Indignation is intense anger or annoyance provoked by what is perceived as unfair treatment. So I see a lot of this on Facebook where people feel injustice and so they literally are raging on Facebook. Has anybody ever noticed that on Facebook? 
Rage usually results in sin and rash behavior because of how intense the emotion is. I had something happen to me yesterday or the day before we got these cabinets for my mother-in-law's place and I was picking it up to load it into my truck and I picked it up and the drawer came out and went over my shoulder and just smashed on the floor. I was like, oh dear Jesus. I could tell you where my rage went away about 10 years ago. Mm. But glory, hallelujah. Me and Dave Willis got together yesterday and he's going to fix that drawer for me. Bless his heart. But rage, you know, this is where a guy puts his fist through the wall, you know. You know, road rage, when you're going down the road and you irrationally are chasing somebody down the road. I mean, come on, there's people that do that here in this congregation. Don't act like you're not here. (laughs) Rage can also be passive aggressive. Like cutting sarcasm. I call it simmering resentment. Not saying anything, but you're resenting, and that rage is on the inside. It's not being expressed on the outside. But people think just because I have it on the inside, I'm not being rageful. I also call it icy silence treatment. Anybody ever do the icy silence treatment where you're avoiding maybe your spouse or somebody else that just really rubbed you raw? Icy silence treatment. Or withdrawal, just a withdrawal of love. I just withdraw my love and I punish you. I just withdraw my love and I punish you because my rage and my anger is out of control and I don't want to even look at you. I just withdraw from you and I go, up yours. Sorry, probably shouldn't have said that. It can even be in the area of avoidance of people or even deliberate neglect, all because the wants and desires are not being attended to. The issue is you are not walking in love and you are hurting someone with your rage and it's all about you. Is this an issue for anyone? I know I love what the Bible says that why are there fights and quarrels and anger among you? Is it not because you don't get what you want? When I found that when I started dealing with my rage, it's always something wasn't working the way I wanted it to, or it, it, it was assaulting the, the part, the unbelief in me I had about myself. And because it was exposing something about myself in the area of failure or not making it or doing something wrong, the anger would come up because I was believing something about myself. And once I changed what I believed about myself and how God seen me and what God was seeing about me, my anger and rage then began to be dealt with. My behavior changed because of what my, because my believing changed. And so if it's you and you have some of this, again, you need to realize that you need to find out what it is you're believing about yourself or others. It may be just the belief that you think everybody's an idiot. You may believe everybody's an idiot and it just honks you off all the time. And you're assuming guilt before you even realize that it's not that. You follow what I'm saying? Anybody with me here? So discover what it is you believe. God's wanting to set you free from the rage. He's wanting to set you free from this stuff. Can I have an amen? You don't have to live in this bondage. Can I have an amen? Amen. 
Okay, we're going to get to that even at the end. The next one we're going to jump to is selfish ambition. I can't spend a lot of time on each one. Selfish ambition is a little, little interesting. It is a little hidden, and sometimes uh, we don't understand what it is, but we all struggle sometimes with this. Selfish ambition is a strong desire, everybody say strong desire, for personal success. A strong desire for personal success, but without moral restraint. There's not a concern about how your desire for success affects other people. Does that make sense? It's not wrong to want to be successful. That's not what I'm saying. But selfish ambition is, I don't care who I have to necessarily use to get what I want to make me successful. Does that make sense? This is where you feel used by people. You ever feel like somebody has an agenda? You ever feel like somebody's working you in order to get what they want? That's what selfish ambition is. We all feel it. It's, you go, ooh, and you kind of withdraw from it, right? The motivation in selfish ambition is to promote oneself or to put one's interest before others. And the Bible is constantly telling us to put others before ourselves, right? Motives are about you, and you have little concern for others. There's a strong desire to be known, to be appreciated, and to be celebrated by others. The need is to be highly esteemed and valued by others. But there's a belief behind selfish ambition that is causing you to have it. And I've got to find, if, if I, what I'm talking, you're going, mm, out, mm, mm, yep, mm, mm, mm. you've got to find out, again, what I believe is driving that self, that, that self issue, that, gosh, I can't even think of the word, selfish ambition. Uh, Kerry Newhoff is a uh, minister out of Canada, and I listened to his podcast and thing. Here, here's what he said some symptoms are of selfish ambition, and I like them, so I stole them. Thank you, Kerry. These are not generated by Eric by any stretch. People who struggle with selfish ambition, your personal worth goes up and it goes down with what people think of you. Okay? Failure is crippling. You use people to get where you want to go. You need the credit when things go well. You use people. Oh, I already did that. You think about the next thing to accomplish. You compare yourself to others. The need to win is greater than the need to love. The need to win is greater than the need to love. You are insecure. So how about you? How are you doing with selfish ambition? Do you live like this? Because Paul was warning the Galatians, I don't, I, you need to know what you need to believe about selfish ambition. Cool? That's one you need to work on. You need to write that down. Again, you're going to be going to the Lord and saying, God, what is it I'm believing? 
that's for, that, is, that is making this selfish ambition come out of me? What is controlling my behavior? I'm not going to concentrate on my behavior. The goal today is not for you to concentrate on these behaviors. The goal today is what? To discover what I believe that's driving the behavior, right? That's what, I mean, if you leave with anything today, you've got to leave. My, what I believe is controlling my behavior. It's, it's, it's leading me to that behavior. And there's something I've got to increase my believing. I've got to improve my believing of God and his word and what he says about me. Because most of this is emotionally driven. And that's why we have an emotional healing team here where there are things that have gotten us when we were a kid that we need to mine out of us. And God needs to set you free from some of those belief systems, right? And we need to improve our believing. So that's selfish ambition. Now let's go to dissensions. As you can see there, dissensions is the next one. I'm just taking them in order. You know, just a few minutes ago, I talked about discord, what disunity, right? The chords, clamoring. Well, dis dissension is involving discord, and it is, but dissensions have to do with the discord that leads someone to splitting of a, so splitting from someone relationally. So the discord turns to where I'm now taking my disagreement, I'm now taking my disunity, and I'm now withdrawing from the relationship. I'm dissenting from a relationship. I'm withdrawing from a relationship. I'm moving away from people. You ever see that happen in the body of Christ? Relationships are now starting to divide through, through the discord now going into dissensions. And so this is a lot of times where people quit coming to church. They withdraw from the church. They withdraw. They, they quit coming to the church because there is a discord. There's a disunity. There's upsetness. They're upset with somebody. They're upset that somebody's not loving them well or that somebody did something. You ever been there? And God says, uh-uh, I don't want you to leave the church. I want you to stay in the body. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, right? And so I want to, so this issue of dissension, there's a disagreement in opinion that leads to angry words, to strife, people leaving the relationship and avoiding relationship. And I will say 2020 was the year of this. I mean, if it wasn't because of COVID and whether you took the vaccination or didn't take the vaccination, if it wasn't you voted for Trump and I didn't vote for Trump, <laughs> I mean, you talk about dissensions within families and dissensions within the church. What about the mask? You talk about dissension. And disagreement and people wanting to withdraw from relationships because of that. And then we could add on top of that the racial stuff. That there are people still not coming to this church because of certain people's positions on racial stuff. Dissensions. And then there's the gender stuff. And then there's the you name it stuff. And there's the... Can you believe what Sister Susie did this time? Or Brenda Joe or Alger? <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. If there ain't dissensions in the body of Christ, you ain't talking, you're, you're talking smack, right? There is dissensions. 
There is gossip. There is things that go on that I never even know about, but you guys talk about behind the scenes. Like, it happens. And God's saying, no, no, that is not fit for the body of Christ. No, he's saying, I want you to have faith expressed through love. He says, that's not fit for my people. Those who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Okay, dissensions. Now the next one is a progression from discord and, and dissensions, and then we have factions. Look at the word factions. Confaction, faction, what? Oh, no, that was conjunction, junction. <laughs> factions. What are factions? In the Greek, it means faction or sect, but this is where the discord, the disunity, and then it moves into dissension and the moving away and people starting to leave the church, or... If it moves even worse, it's a faction where a group of people within a family or a group of people within a church begin and they pull out of the larger group because they have a unified purpose, a thing they want to emphasize, a thing that they want to do different. They're, not go they're, 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 they're upset with the bigger group. And this is where church splits happen all the time. You know, Sister Baba Gil, I don't want to use a word that somebody could have left with. So, but this sister and this brother and this one, they want to emphasize worship and they want to, they want to do more worship and this one wants to do, we need more faith and this one wants more prayer and this one wants more this or this one wants, I don't, I don't want big, I don't want programs. I just want to get away from that. I mean, it can be anything. I, I'm just using weird, wild examples that actually have happened in this house before. But I've seen it in families, too. I've seen it where families, they disagree on certain things. And all of a sudden, there's two or three within the family that separate themselves from the rest of the family. Have you ever guys seen that within families? And God's saying, uh-uh, not for my people. Not for my people. My people are going to be led by love. My people are going to be led by the Spirit of God. That is not, that, the people who live like that are not part of the kingdom, is what Paul is saying here. We don't want division. We don't want factions, right? Paul calls this sin and says we are not walking in love. And so that's what factions are. Have you ever participated in that? The next one is envy. Factions and envy. What is envy? Feeling envy is a little stronger than jealousy. It's tied to jealousy, but it's stronger than jealousy. Envy is feelings of despite, outrage, bitterness, discontentment, and resentment toward another's enjoyment of something with a desire for it. Covetousness is one of the words that would be under envy, where you're, it, it goes beyond jealousy where you want what they have. Now it has envy tied to it where you don't want them to have it, and you really kind of wish ill will towards them. It's not that you just want their stuff. It's now you want their stuff, and you want them to kind of be punished and not have what they have. Does that make sense? It's a resentful longing aroused for someone's life, their beauty, their position, their possessions. It's more intense than jealousy because there's spite and there's resentment connected to it. And so there's this 
You wouldn't, you wouldn't verbalize and say, I want evil to happen towards them. That, you wouldn't verbalize that if you had envy inside your heart. But you might wish that maybe something bad would happen to them. Maybe you're hoping that something happens to them or that whatever they have gets taken away. I wasn't talking about you, Chuck. I'm sorry. I'm teasing you. The Bible says run from that. Run from envy. Run from having this desire of somebody else's enjoyment and you having resentment towards them if they have it and wishing ill will towards them. I see this a lot with junior high and high school students. You know, it seems really, but when we get adults, we kind of we masquerade it and we probably don't verbalize it, but back in our mind we're going, yeah, that's probably why they're sick. Yep, yep, that's probably, and, and we make judgments and, and, and envy, envy's there. So that's envy. The next one we're going to hit real quick. I'm going to keep pushing. If envy's something there, you've got to find out what you're believing. You've got to find out what you're believing. You've got to take that to envy, and you've got to get help from somebody else if you can't get it yourself. You've got to find out what you're believing about that that's causing that behavior. Are you with me? Don't just say, yep, I've got it. I'm convicted. God, forgive me. You will not change your behavior. Did you hear me? God, forgive me. I repent. I confess it. I don't want to be envious. God, forgive me. I'm not done. That is not clearing up what you believe. What you believe is what's causing the behavior. I'm going I'm to be a broken record today. Are you hearing it? Okay, next one is drunkenness. Boy, this drunkenness is a really touchy topic in the body of Christ. Everybody's got different beliefs when it comes to booze and alcohol and all that kind of stuff. We know what drunkenness is. It's a temporary state resulting from excess consumption of alcohol. And when you drink alcohol, it enters the bloodstream. We know it. And that alcohol begins to affect your body and your thinking. Does it affect your body and your thinking? It does affect your body and thinking. Now, what you believe about al alcohol is what you will behave. I know you guys know my position. There is nothing in the Bible that says you cannot drink alcohol. However, I believe it ruins your witness. Bible talks about drunkenness. It does also talk about the Levites and the priests setting themselves apart from alcohol as unto the Lord. And so there are scriptures about how we take alcohol and we sanctify ourselves, setting ourselves apart from it because we're unto service. And so that's my position. I have been sanctified and set apart for the Lord. I don't touch the stuff. It never enters my mouth, but I'm not judging you if you do unless I see you getting drunk and tipsy and you start to really affect other people around you. But there are seven aspects of drunkenness that I think is important that I'm not going to go through all seven, but there are seven stages of drunkenness. And I think what we do in the body of Christ is we, we tender, we tiptoe right on the edge of drunkenness. And if you, if you get on the edge for very long, what happens? And I think we don't understand what drunkenness is. And there are seven phases of drunkenness. Sober is the first phase of drunkenness. And this, according to science, is usually when somebody drinks one alcoholic beverage within an hour, you are now what they call sober. You are, you are still able to think straight. You're still able to do something. But you are starting, your body is starting to react to the alcohol. And that is called sober. And the Bible says to be sober. So you should be sober where your body and your mind is not being affected by the alcohol is what I believe. 
the other phases of alcohol are euphoric. That's when you get tipsy. That's where uh, you get more social, you get more talkative, you get increased confidence and lower inhibitions and impaired morals. Everybody say impaired morals. Do you think God wants your morals to be impaired? So when you're tipsy, your morals are impaired. Do you think that is the character that God wants in our lives? So it's really hard to, to be able to, I could go through not just euphoric, but I can go through excitement. This is where you lose your emotional stability, your slur speech, and people start noticing you're drunk. There's confusion, memory loss, stupor, coma, even death. But the issue is God's not wanting to refrain. He is wanting, it's what we believe about alcohol that causes our behavior to go where it goes. And so if you don't believe it's bad for you, if you don't believe you're tipsy, how many times have you talked to somebody and they go, I'm not drunk. <laughs> you're not drunk. You don't know what drunk is then, buddy. Anybody ever done that? Do you know when you're drunk? Honestly, do you really know? I've never been drunk, so I'm, really, I'm asking for help. Do you know when you're drunk? Because I know when I've talked to people, it's like they, oh, I'm not drunk. I'm fine. I'm, I, I've only had one. One what? Uh, one this minute. <laughs> but at any rate, again, I am not wanting to concentrate on drunkenness. It is a major issue in the body of Christ. But God says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You have to determine whether you have an issue with alcohol. You need to ask the Spirit of God, what do I believe about it? Because your behavior will follow what you believe. Is that true? All right. So what do you believe about alcohol? And you need to find out what it is you believe. And uh, you need to ask the Lord. The next one I'm going to press into is orgies. Oh, <laughs> you teenagers might not like that word either. I think it's interesting, he says, and the like. So that's just letting you know that there's a whole lot more to the end of the list, right? Orgies in the Greek means carousing, revelry, excessive eating and drinking with moral debauchery normally following. That's the Greek. A binge party. Webster says a wild party, especially one involving excessive drinking, and food, and unrestrained sexual activity. No self-control. If you really want to sum it up, it is excessive indulgence in specific activities. I propose to you, we can have an orgy with more than just sexual things. It is a excessive indulgence in specific act activities. Could I... If you're overindulging in gaming, if you're overindulging in any kind of activity within your life where you're escaping reality, you're escaping life, whatever you're doing, God's saying, be careful. Don't live like that. God wants to do all things in moderation. Is that not what God says? Amen. So that's the orgies. Don't even like saying the word. So what do you believe about all these things? What do you believe? I've hit all 15 of them now, rapid fire. What do you believe about them? What you believe about them, that will affect your behavior towards them. That's all I'm trying to say. You have to determine what is the Spirit of God saying to you today on these acts of the flesh. 
And you need to take those acts of the flesh and you need to have some quiet time with the Lord. And you need to begin to have a time with Jesus on Jesus. What is it that I'm believing that drives my behavior? What I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to steer us with Paul's help. Paul was trying to teach the Galatians. He was trying to teach them what to believe. He was saying these things right here, you need to believe that they are wrong for God's people. And we all need to know that they are wrong for God's people. And Paul then goes and takes it further. And he says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what does that mean to you that you will not inherit the kingdom of God in that passage? Think about it. What does that mean to you? Because I do want to clear some things up. But what does it mean to not inherit the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? Now, where I want to go with that today, the word inherit there, the Greek word to inherit means this, to obtain after one's own death by legal right. That you have a legal right to obtain heaven or to not receive heaven. But what is the legal right that gets me into heaven? My legal right is believing in Jesus and his blood. We've talked about that in Galatians 1, 2, 3, and 4. That was part of message 1 and 2. That we are justified with Christ. That I have become righteous in him. When I become saved and I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I become justified and I become a new creation. I become holy. I become pure. Correct? Okay. So my legal right into heaven, my inheritance, as I inherit, I will not inherit that if I continue in these behaviors. But the word says... Those who live like, and so I want to break down the word live like for you, because this gave me a lot of freedom in my own life as I was going through this journey as you are, becoming like Jesus, living holy as he is holy, breaking things off of my life, coming in agreement with heaven, getting revelation on what I'm to believe. I am a different man today than I was 20 years ago. Anybody else different in this house? Man, oh man, we're becoming like him, yes? But the word there, live like, it means those who practice this lifestyle. Those who carry out this action as a lifestyle. Those who are habitually doing these things. Those where it's customary. Doing it often. It is a repetitive choice that you are living like this. You're repetitively choosing sexual immorality. Repetitively, you're choosing to be involved in witchcraft or jealousy or dissensions or factions. That you are literally giving yourself to that often. And I shared last week when I, in my struggle with sexual immorality and lust and pornography, I was not living daily or even weekly or even monthly when it came to pornography. It would, I would just slip into it, and it was like, oh, gosh, I hate this. No, I don't want this. There was this struggle going on inside of me, this war that I didn't want anybody else to know. 
because I was so ashamed. But that's not living in it. That wasn't practicing pornography. I was not a pornographer. That's not who I was. I was the righteousness of Christ. I was the glory of the Lord. He was, he was perfecting me. And I'm going to get a little bit more into that in just a minute because that's the hope that I want to bring us. So I'm not saying, what I am not saying, hear me, I am not saying if you know it is wrong and you are in the process of overcoming these sins, I'm not saying you will go to hell. I am not saying if you fall into the temptation of any of these sins, you will go to hell. That's not what I'm saying. If you're fighting these things and you're in the process of getting free from these things, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are in the, you are in the potter's will. You're being formed, and he's smashing your clay, and he's building it up. He's smashing it. You're in this process with heaven. You are fleeing these lifestyles, and you're saying, no, I am not, that, that works of the flesh is not who I am. And you struggle with it, you're going to get back up. The righteous man falls, he gets what? A righteous man what? A righteous man what? He gets up. Say, I'm a getter-upper. I'm a getter-upper. Absolutely. So I'm not saying you're going to go to hell. God is calling us higher. God is calling us to love higher. He's calling us to live differently. He's calling to increase our believing. And our positional standing is in righteousness because we love God. Okay? You're justified and you're loved. You're not hated by God at all. He is, the, he is in the process of improving your believing. Say, God is in the process of improving my believing. Amen. I'm in the process. Again, remember, he celebrates pro progress, not perfection. I'm going to say it again. He celebrates progress, not perfection. I know I'd like to at least see a centimeter of improvement, but hey, he knows if you're, if you're moving in the right direction. So I'm not saying you're going to hell for that kind of stuff. But Paul is saying, Paul is saying, if you refuse to believe these things are wrong and you choose to ignore God's truth and the conviction of the Spirit of God and choose to walk in them and practice them and live like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He is saying that. If you refuse God, if you refuse his ways, if you say, I can do whatever I want, and you want to pull away from being under the lordship of Jesus Christ, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Paul is saying. So I want to understand the difference. And as Christians, <clears throat> we're in this constant tension, which I'm getting ready to get into, of how we can get free from this constant tension. But I want to back up what Paul says out of Hebrews 10. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I am not an enemy of God. And if you're a lover of God and you're struggling in a certain area, you are not an enemy of God. But if you continue and you continue over years and years of refusing to submit yourself unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I want to say, are you really saved? I want to say, have you really made uh, Christ Lord of your life? 
or have you just had lip service towards God? Because I promise you, I know it, I've lived it, I feel it. Because if you're born again, you will not continue to sin. You will not stay in it. There is a war that goes on inside of you. And that war, I'm going to talk about it here shortly, it's there and it's there for a purpose and a reason. But Paul does not leave us there and he gives us hope. And here's where I want to land the plane today. And here's what I want you to take home with you with hope and celebration and excitement in believing for yourself is this. So I say, walk in the spirit, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the spirit and you will not say will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Now look what I've bolded. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. That stuck out to me like a neon sign this week. I want to thank God that the, that, that they are in the, the, the flesh and the spirit are in conflict with each other so that you don't do what you want. What, I, what he's saying, what Paul's saying, this is good news. It's literally saying because the Spirit of God is inside of you, because you have taken on the name of Jesus Christ, that conflict is there for your benefit. That conflict is there showing proof that you are sons of the living God, and that conflict will not go away. The only way that conflict goes away is when you sear your heart and your conscience. But that conflict is there so that you don't do what you want. Oh, that is such good news to me. I thank God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I thank God that there is a conflict inside of me. I thank God when I get angry or rage or do acts of jealousy or any of those sins that we're talking about. I thank God there's a conflict. Is anybody glad there's a conflict in you? That conflict's there so you don't do what you want. So you don't go get drunk. So you don't have sexual immorality. It's there as a protection for you. God's saying, I love you. I've set you apart. And I've put something inside of you so you won't go that way. So don't ignore the Spirit of God. Don't ignore the conflict. Actually begin to embrace the conflict and say, oh God, thank you for the conflict. That when I dropped and shattered the drawer... The conflict was there. It's like, I'm not going to throw anything. <laughs> I'm not going to do something stupid. Praise God. Hey, Dave Willis, what's up, bro? Can you bail me out before my mother-in-law sees this? Thank God for the conflict he has established in us. If that conflict was not there, you would just do whatever you wanted. If that conflict wasn't there, Chuck, you would just do whatever you want. You'd be selfish. You'd do whatever you want to do. And if that conflict ain't there, then you better get saved. If there's no conflict going on, your heart's gotten hard and you need to repent and you need to ask God to forgive you and you need to have a, what we just sang this morning about Holy Spirit, do it again. I need fire. I need wind. I need awakened. I need you to soften my inside. I need to come. I need you 
come, Holy Spirit, I need to get at the altar and recommit myself to Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen on that? We might even have the worship team do that song here. I know that would throw things off, but we might do that Holy Spirit song again. Is that possible here and shortly? Good. I'm glad you guys are so flexible. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. Here's what I want to say to us today. This is the good news. You have the capacity to obey God. You were never intended to be a sinner. You were never intended for this kind of lifestyle. You were set apart. You were put, you were put on this earth in order to glorify God and to worship Him and to be in oneness with Him. You have the capacity to obey God of the spirit of God inside of you you have the capacity to obey God because of the spirit of God inside of you the righteous seed of Christ that the DNA of Jesus the sperma of God that has been planted inside of you is calling you to holiness it's calling you to righteousness it's calling you to obey. It's calling you. And the conflict is there so you don't do what you want to do. Oh, God, I thank you for the conflict. I thank you, God, for the conflict. I thank you, God, for the conflict. Tell him, thank you, God, for the conflict. Mm, thank you for the conflict. Do you believe this? Do you believe you can live free? Because your behavior will follow what you believe. For years, I didn't believe I could overcome some of the stuff that I've overcome. I didn't believe it. I'm still working on a couple areas. I'm changing my believing. I'm a mean, green, fighting machine. Not mean, but green, fighting machine. Do you believe you can live free? What you believe, you will behave. One more scripture, and then we'll land the plane. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. <laughs> so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. <laughs> he made him who knew no sin be sin on your behalf so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in him say I'm becoming I'm becoming righteous I'm becoming like him <laughs> stand up with me stand up with me say I'm becoming like him I am transforming I am becoming more like him <laughs> I'm going from glory to glory. <laughs> the Bible says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of what? My mind. That you might believe Him, His good, pleasing, acceptable will. Say, I'm believing better. <laughs> I'm believing I can do this. I am not a slave. I am not a slave to sin, but I am the righteousness of Christ. I have been bought with a high price, therefore I will follow him.
and I will overcome. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me than is in the world. I am more than an overcomer in Christ Jesus. I am more. I am more. I am more than a conqueror. Come on, some of you need to preach yourself happy. There is a conflict inside of you so you don't do what you want to do. And I'm telling you, that righteous seed will not let you stay in sin. That righteous seed will convict you. That righteous seed will put that conflict in you. And I say we need to repent. We need to turn from it, yes. But we've got to change what we believe in order to change what we behave. The worship team would come up here. I want to worship the Lord with this song. I'm going to show the, the, the um, I want you to get serious with the Lord. I want you to begin to surrender again to the Lordship of Christ. I want you to begin to repent. I want you to ask God to soften your heart. If there's an area of your life where you have been in that, that, that works of the flesh, you're going to let that stuff go today. Can I have an amen on it? And we have been made clean through the righteousness of Christ. And I thank God for it, don't you guys? Let's give the Lord some praise.